Joshua chapter number 5. Joshua chapter number 5, and we're looking at the story of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, verse number 1. And so it was that when the kings of the Amorites, who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until they had crossed over, that their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Joshua chapter 5, verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself, and circumcise the sons of Israel again a second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself, and circumcised the sons of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. Now, this is significant because these men are 40 years old, and he is circumcising them. That means Joshua basically said, I want you to drop your pants, and I'm going to take a knife, and I'm going to go down the line and circumcise you. I am so thankful that times have changed. <laughs> I need somebody just <laughs> grief. Pastor, wave your hand. I'm thankful that things have changed. Y'all laughing at me, but I'm reading the B-I-B-L-E, and this is exactly what happened. So, and then, <laughs> at the heel of the foreskins. I mean, I don't know why they named the heel that, but let's just go on with the story. Verse 3, and so, verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were males, and all the men of war died in the wilderness on their way after they had come up out of Egypt. For all the people who came up had been, had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. That's how we know they were at least 40 years old. To all the people who came out of the men of war who came up out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had shown to their fathers and that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised the sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And so it was that when he had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in the place of the camp till they were healed. Well, no joke. Can I hear an amen? Verse number 9, So the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I removed the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel had camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight in the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover of unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer ate manna, but ate the food of the land of Canaan that very year. May the Lord add the blessing to the preaching of His Word, and everyone said, Amen. <clears throat> Joshua is the new leader of the children of Israel. Moses is dead, and Joshua is the new leader. He is the new successor of the people of God. Now let me say this. I believe that God has a blueprint in Scripture, and the best way I believe that God deals with His people 
is that he raises up successors. Now, in the American church, we vote on our successor. We vote on the person that will come after the leader. I am not saying that that's bad because I do believe that God can use our systems. Can I hear an amen? I don't necessarily believe that's bad. I believe God's format and God's perfect will is that the leader raises up a successor. It is easier on the people when the successor has the heart of the former leader. It's always easier, easier when there's a succession. Now, God uses our voting system and God uses the systems that we have because that's, we've done it for years and, and uh, it may be a broken system, but I believe that God does use it. And I do believe that God's succession can happen through voting as well. But you see in scripture, God uses this art of succession. And so Joshua is the successor of, of Moses. He was mentored by Moses. And so Moses is dead. Joshua becomes the leader. And you know the story. They were in the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed God. You know the story. But what I want you to see here is that in this particular scripture, the passage I read to you, the people of God, who is the children of Israel, they were the younger generation, so to speak. Their forefathers had already died in the wilderness or they've already died off. That is why Joshua had to circumcise them. This is a younger generation. This is a new generation. This is a new generation that they didn't know anything about Egypt. They didn't live in Egypt. Their forefathers, their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents, their cousins and aunts all lived in Egypt. This is a new generation. Their forefathers died in the wilderness. This is a new generation with a new leader. Joshua is the leader. That's why he said, I need to circumcise you because this is the sign of the, of the covenant of God. We are going into a new season and you must be circumcised because it is the sign of the covenant. So these are new people. And what I want you to see here is that they are between places. You see, Jordan was a river that they had to cross over to get to the promised land. So Jordan they crossed over and then they had to cross over to Jericho. They had to fight in Jericho. But the Bible says they're in between places. The Jordan is behind them, Jericho is in front of them, and they're right here. Right here is where they're at. The Jordan's already behind them. They still need to fight Jericho to get to Canaan land. But God says, before you go on any further, before you fight Jericho, before you march around the walls, before you declare victory, before you enter into the new season, before you enter into the promised land, I need you to stop and pause for a few moments because there are some things that you need to do. You all understand where I'm going with this? They've already crossed Jordan. Their forefathers already died in the wilderness. Their mother, their fathers, their grands, or their grandmas and granddads, cousins, they've all went through the wilderness. These are new children. They've been born They don't know nothing about all that stuff. Most of them died in the wilderness. Most, they died, they they were disobedient. And now, after they crossed the Jordan River, and before they got to Jericho, Jericho is a battle that they had to fight, they were almost into Canaan land. Listen, once they left the wilderness and crossed the Jordan River, they had to fight one battle after another to get to the promised land, to get to the Holy Land, the Promised Land, the Middle East, that little, that little s- state over there, that country called Israel. 
They had to fight to get there. They had to fight to possess that land. All right? It didn't just come to them easily because God gave it to them. They had to fight for it. And let me say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. God has given you some promises, and it's just not going to come to you on a, on a golden platter. You've got to fight for what God has said that you could have. Can I hear an amen? You've got to fight for it. God says your children can be saved. That's a promise. That's the word of God. You've got to fight in prayer till you see your children saved. You can't just sit around and just wait for the promises of God to be delivered to you on a, a silver platter. You've got to fight for it. Now, I know I grew up in the old church. We used to equate Canaan land to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, that's incorrect theology. I don't got to fight anymore when I get to heaven. Can I hear an amen up in this holiness church? I don't need to fight when I get to heaven. We used to sing that old song. You remember that, Lana? I'm on my way to Canaan land. I'm on my way to Canaan's land. I'm on my way to Canaan's land. And then we used to sing, if mama don't go, won't hinder me. We always had to throw mama in there. <laughs> Poor daddy. We never mentioned daddy because daddy was a drunk, so we just mentioned mama all the time. <laughs> you know, we always talked about mama teaching angels how to sing. Where did we get that from? I mean, angels taught mama how to sing. Can I hear an amen? But anyway, y'all can laugh. I'm just joking with you. If you. I didn't say your daddy was a drunk. We just never talked about daddy, did we? <laughs> if I could just hear mama pray again, you know, all those songs about mama pray. Thank God for praying mamas. I had a praying grandma. Come on, somebody. I had a praying grandma. I had praying relatives. Thank God I had people who prayed. So let's go on. I don't want to dig myself any, in a hole here and try to get out. So here's these people fighting for what God told them is theirs. God said, this is your land, and they had to fight for it. But here in this story, they're in between Jordan and Jericho, and God says, before you go any further, before you go any further, there's some things that you've got to do. And number one, I just mentioned it to you. He says, before you go any further, before you fight any more battles, before you enter the promised land, you need to make sure everyone is circumcised. And the Bible says Joshua took a flint knife. Now, I've read that many times, but do you know what a flint knife is? A flint knife is broken pieces of rock. I want you to take some broken pieces of rock, and I want you to circumcise these men. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I know it doesn't, sound, it doesn't even sound healthy to do this, but this is their custom. Now, the reason they were circumcised, it was the sign of the covenant. God gave this to, uh, to Abraham many years ago. He said, I, I'm the true God, and in order for you to be in covenant with me, you've got to circumcise your flesh. And so they, Israel kept this commandment, and a flint knife is broken pieces of rock, and they took broken pieces of rock to, to circumcise these men. Let me tell you something. Broken pieces of rock, some of the brokenness in our life is used and designed to bring healing and restoration in our life. Did you hear that? Some of the brokenness in our life is used to bring healing and restoration in our life. And so they use this broken rock or broken rocks and they circumcise men and, of course, they cut off the foreskin. And this is what I want you to see. If you're going to progress in God, 
you've got to cut some things out of your life. Can I hear an amen? You've got to cut some things out of your life. You might have to cut some people out of your life. You might have to cut fear. You might have to cut jealousy, greed, whatever it may be. But if you're going to progress with God, there's going to have to be this spiritual circumcision that happens in your life. And what I mean by that, you're going to have to make sure that you cut some things out of your life. The Jewish people circumcised themselves physically, but in the Christian world, in the Christian life, the Bible speaks of circumcision of the heart, and it is a daily process. It is a daily of cutting back the flesh and cutting off the flesh and making a decision that you're going to walk holy and uprightly before God. So ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you a question tonight. What are you cutting out of your life? What are you circumcising in your life? Joshua said, before you move on, before you progress in God, before you go to Jericho, before you move on to Canaan, you've got to make sure that you circumcise these people. You've got to make sure you cut some things out of your life. I know this is easier said than done. It sounds very simple. But it holds great truth that if you do not cut things out of your life that holds you back, you will never progress with God. Remember what the apostle said? Lay aside every sin and so wait so that so easily besets us. You've got to cut some things out of your life. You see, Christian circumcision is a daily cutting of the flesh. It's a daily practice. You remember what the prophet said, Jeremiah? Jeremiah said there's coming a day for the people of God that God is going to take out their stony heart and he's going to circumcise their hearts again. That's what we need now. We need a circumcision of the heart. I can get up here and I can preach and sweat and veins pop out on my neck, but if the Holy Spirit is not dealing with the heart of man and it's not wooing people to a place of conviction and repentance, it doesn't matter how much I preach. We've got to have the conviction and the anointing and the power of God to woo people's hearts to a place of repentance where the Holy Spirit circumcises the hearts of hard people. It must take the Holy Spirit to cut out the things in our life. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise God. You see, why did the Jewish people, why did they have to be circumcised? Get this. God established this with Abraham. God said, Abraham, I want a group of people that's going to worship me as the one and true and only God. Let me just make sure, because I don't know if we understand the implication of what I'm saying. When Abraham, who is the founding father of the Jewish people, when God called him out of the land of earth, God was calling and was starting something very strategic. And that was this. God was calling a group of people to himself. God was saying, I want a group of people who would acknowledge me as one God. Because it was very, very common for people to worship multiple gods and numerous gods. It was very common for people to do that. And God came to Abraham and said, listen, I am the only true God. I am the one and true God. And from your descendants, from your loins, 
from your loins, I'm going to have a people and this people is going to declare that I am the only God and this people I'm going to give a piece of land to and they're going to live in that land and they're going to declare to the whole world that there is only but one and true and living and righteous judge in God. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is why the Jewish people do not accept Christianity because they think that we have elevated a man to God who is Jesus Christ. God said to Abraham, there is only one God, I'm the God. There's nobody like me and there's nobody ever going to be like me. You can make your gods of wood, hay and stubble out of silver and gold, but there is only but one and living God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am your provider. I'm the El Shaddai. I, come on, I'm, I, I'm the one that will appear in the burning bush. I'm the one that gave the message to Moses that I was the one and true and living God. And that is why there is a debate, even now in the Holy Land, because you've got Muslims thinking they worship the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. You got Jews who say they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you got Christians over there thinking to themselves, well, this is our land because our Savior was born here and he taught here and he was risen from the dead here. And we declare that this man called Jesus is now God. That's why they hate you. Because the Jewish people is very firm, there's one God. But what they don't understand is that you can't put God in a box. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God we worship because that God appeared in human flesh over 2,000 years ago and He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger to the point that angels came out and sung happy birthday to Him on the Judean hillside. I want to know, is there anybody tonight that will declare that Jesus is that God tonight appeared in human flesh? Woo! Hallelujah. And so God here said, you know what I want you to do? I'm the one true and living God, and I want you to circumcise yourself. Why? Because God says, I want you to be different than any other group of people on the earth because nobody circumcised themselves. The pagans didn't circumcise themselves. They thought the Jewish people was a bloody religion for circumcising all their men. But God says, I want you to do this because you're going to be different from all other groups of people on earth. And by your very act of circumcision is going to set you apart. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Holy Spirit ain't cutting things out of your life, if you are not being circumcised by the Holy Spirit, then you are acting like the world. You are talking like the world. You're dressing like the world. You're acting like the world because you're not being cut apart from the world. That's why. The Holy Spirit ain't cutting things out of your life. You're acting like the world. Because the very art of circumcision was to set those people apart. And what sets you apart from the world is the things that you cut out of your life. That's what sets you apart from the world. You don't act like the world. You don't even dress like the world. Don't, don't even have the fragrance of the world on you. Don't. Now, I'm not a clothesline preacher. That's not what I'm saying. But you understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about having your dress up in your crotch. You all you know what I'm saying? Come on, we're adults here. I'm talking about 
presenting yourself in a godly way. Come on, somebody. Don't draw an attention to yourself. I'm talking about cutting some things out of your life and walking uprightly before the Lord. And so he says, before you move on, I need you to circumcise yourself. And then he says, verse number 8, he says, and so it was, Joshua 5 verse 8, so it was that when they finished circumcising all the people, they stayed in the place until they were healed. The second thing that Joshua was telling the people, before you move on, you've got to make sure that you are healed before you move on. Let me say this. If you don't experience healing of your hurts, you're going to end up bleeding on people who never cut you. Did y'all just hear what I just said? If you don't experience healing of the hurts in your life, you're going to end up bleeding on people who never cut you. You're going to cuss people out who don't know anything about your life. You're going to look at people and offend people who have absolutely nothing involved in your life. You're going to blow off on people and hurt people's feelings because you're hurting and you have never healed from your hurt. He says, before you move on, you've got to make sure that you are healed. Before you move on, make sure you are healed. And if you're going to move on with God, you've got to be healed of your hurts. Listen, one of the greatest truths I've ever learned is you don't have a right to be right. You have a right to be righteous. You are now a slave to righteousness. You are not a slave to your hurts. I'm going to say that again. You're not a slave to your hurts. I'm going to say that again. You're not a slave to your hurts. You're not a slave to your feelings. You're not a slave to the things you think. You are a slave to righteousness. The whole church should have said amen there. I'm going to say it again because I said it five times. You're not a slave to your hurts. You're not a slave to your thoughts. You're not a slave to your feelings. You are a slave to righteousness. That's what you're a slave to. And if you're a slave to something, it means you have no choice. You do what the master tells you to do. It's ironic in the church of how our emotions control us, how our feelings control us. We become slaves to it. When really, if your heart's been circumcised, you are called to be a slave of righteousness, Romans chapter 8. It dictates what you do. And if you don't experience healing in your life, then you will bleed on people who never cut you. You will bleed on people that's never cut you if you don't experience healing over the issues of your life. You see, if the enemy was going to attack them, guess what the prime opportunity for the enemy to attack these people? Well, they're healing from circumcision, right? So if the enemy was going to attack them, guess what? This is a prime opportunity for the enemy to come in to attack them because all the men are laid up. They're laid up, you know, having soup and cornbread. They're healing. This is a prime opportunity. 
And you know what? I'm sure that they were anxious, thinking to themselves, the enemy can come in and ambush us at any moment because we are healing. And do you know the story is recorded in Genesis chapter 34? In Genesis chapter 34, the men of God who they circumcised were what happened. They were healing, and the enemy came in and ambushed them. So it's not the first time that it happened. So I'm sure that these people were very cautious because they knew that the enemy could come in and ambush them because they were not physically able to fight. Why in the world would God tell them to heal? Why would God circumcise them when they're in the camp of the enemy? Couldn't God wait and say, listen, when you get into the promised land, then circumcise them, and then you have time to heal because you've already fought the enemy. But ladies and gentlemen, why did God say, no, I want you to do it right now? Why couldn't God wait? Because I think the greater principle is this, that we've got to learn that in our journey of serving the Lord, that it doesn't matter how hard you fight, some battles will never be won unless the Lord fights them. You can fight and fight and fight, but he's teaching them, you have to wait on me. Let me fight your battle for you. Because men are the very weakest when they are healing and when they're sick. You don't want to fight. And God strategically had them to be circumcised and healed in the camp of the enemy when they should be getting themselves in a position to fight, God says, I want you to stop, circumcise your men, and heal before you move on, even in the place of the enemy, because God is saying, it's not about you, it's not about your weaponry, it's not about what you can do, it's about what I can do so that I can receive the glory. So you see, God says, before you move on, before you possess the land, you, number one, got to circumcise these men. Number two, they've got to heal. They've got to heal. They've got to experience what healing is. They need to heal from their hurts. And if you're going to progress with God, you've got to heal from your hurts. The third thing that you see in this story is that God says, I'm going to remove away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. This is a new generation. You don't know anything about Egypt, and I'm removing the very stigma of Egypt off of you, the Bible says, verse 9. And the Lord says to Joshua, this day I've removed the reproach of Egypt from off of you. God says, I'm removing the very stigma of Egypt off of you. Your mother, your father, your grandparents, they all know what Egypt is, and I'm removing that stigma off of you. And let me just say to this, no matter what environment you were raised in, no matter what home life you come from, you don't have to go throughout your whole life with the same stigma that your parents had. Can, can I just say that prophetically? You don't have to live your whole life with the same stigma that your parents had or your forefathers had. He said, today I'm removing the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Hallelujah. Today I'm setting you free from the very stigma of Egypt. You were known as slaves in Egypt. You were known for the hard work in Egypt. 
You were known for the turmoil and the oppression of Egypt, but today is a new day. As a matter of fact, you're getting ready to enter into Gilgal. You're getting ready to step into a new season. You're getting ready to step into a new environment. You're getting ready to step in to a different realm that you've never experienced before. This is a new generation with a new, come on somebody, a new generation of purpose and power. He says, I'm removing the reproach of Egypt from off of you. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? He says, I'm going to stop the manna. Your, your grandparents ate the manna in the wilderness. Your mother and father ate the manna in the wilderness. But now, this is a new generation. I'm stopping the manna. Now, why did he stop the manna? And I'm, I'm trying to calm down here because I want to shout up in this holiness church on Sunday night. But I'm just trying to calm down because I found out something about the Bible. The word manna... Y'all hearing me tonight? The word manna is not a noun. The word manna is actually in Hebrew a question. What is it? What is it? So when the children of people came out early in the morning and they begin to look into the fields in the wilderness, God every morning would rain down manna and they had to go out and pick up the manna to eat it. And they would pick it up and say to themselves, what is this? What is this? They didn't have a word for it. They didn't know what it was. It was a season of uncertainty. Can I hear an amen? They lived in a season of uncertainty. It rained every morning and it rained every night manna. God provided for them. But even though God provided for them, it was a season of uncertainty. They didn't know what the manna was. But God is saying to this new generation, I'm raising up a new generation that doesn't have to question what I'm getting ready to do. That's not going to question the uncertainty of God. You've been with me all these years. You don't have to be uncertain any longer. You don't have to question it any longer. I'm stopping the manna because I'm not a God of uncertainty. I'm a God of purpose in your life. Woo! He said, I'm stopping the questions of uncertainty. I'm stopping the manna because you're getting ready to cross on over. You're getting ready to cross on over to Jordan, and I'm going to go with you with power and purpose. And you're going to go into the you're going to go into the Canaan land, and you're not going to have to question the uncertainty of my character any longer. And so he dried up the manna from heaven. Hallelujah! Well, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Come on, somebody raise your hand. I know they told me not to speak in tongues in Bible college, but sometimes I feel the Holy Ghost and I just got to speak in tongues a little bit. Somebody raise your hands. I thank God that we don't have to live in an area of uncertainty any longer. My God, when you walk with God, how many's ever walked with God before? How many's walking with God before? And there are seasons in your life you don't know what God's doing. You try to figure out what God's doing. You know what that season is? That is a season called manna because you're trying to figure out what God's doing. But when you've spent enough time with God, God begins to grow you up to the point that you don't have to question God any longer. You know what God is doing because you've walked with God long enough you've walked with God long enough and you don't have to have a spirit of uncertainty about God any longer God is not a question any longer 
You don't have to go through your life thinking, what is this? And how is this going to be? When you spend time with somebody, you know their ways. You know their character. And God is saying, this generation knows me better than the former generation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And some of you, you better know God more than your parents knew God. You can't rely upon your mama's prayers, your daddy's prayers, and oh, how I wish. No, 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 no. This is a new generation. It's not a season of man any longer. This is a season that I know God's ways. I know his acts. I don't have to get up every morning and say, what is it? What is it? What is it? What are you doing, God? I've walked with God long enough. I know what God is doing. I know what God is doing. Raise your hands and say, thank God for the word of God tonight. Hallelujah. I'm doing something new. I'm doing something fresh. I'm doing something beyond what you can imagine or think. Hallelujah. Some of you feel uncertain tonight, but I prophetically speak to you that you're moving out of the season of manna and you're moving into a new dimension of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody just stand to your feet and receive the word of God tonight. Come on. I'm not done preaching. I'll finish in a few minutes. Come on, raise your hands and give God glory and praise tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. The Bible says that very day the manna ceased. Look at me. The very day the manna ceased on the day after they ate the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the fruit of the land. God's saying, I'm drying up the manna. You don't have to be uncertain any longer. And now you're going to a phase. You're going to a new level in me that you're going to eat the produce of the land. Oh, hallelujah. He said, I'm drying up the manna. I'm drying up the uncertainty. I'm drying up the questions. And I'm moving you to a land of produce. What is a land of produce? You, the land of produce is a land where you got to sow the seed and wait for the fruit to grow. And once it's grown, you can eat it. You may have to work a little bit. It's not going to be like the manna. It's not going to come in the morning and the evening every day. No, 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 no. At this season, it's different. The season of uncertainty, I provided easily for you, but this new season, you're going to have to learn to work a little bit. You're going to have to learn to be patient a little bit. You're going to have to learn to plant the seed and water it and watch me move. <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you hear me? And some of you, you're getting really weary. You, because you expect God just to rain the manna and rain it, rain it here, rain it there. God, I remember when I walked with you years ago how you easily provided. But this is a new season. And God says this is a season that you're going to eat the produce of the land. And the produce of the land only comes when you are patient enough to plant the seed and watch it grow so you can eat it. And so I prophesy to this church, be patient as you sow and as you work. Be patient and lift up your voice. Lift up your your eyes and watch me do the miraculous. Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. He said, He said, He said, I'm moving you from uncertainty. I'm moving you from a season of manna and I'm moving you to the produce of the land. Hallelujah. And then the Bible says, I'm about to shout here. I, 
Hallelujah. I feel the Spirit of God. Uh, Joshua 5 verse 13, and it came to pass that as Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, a man stood opposite of him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversary? And he said, no, but as a commander of the Lord's army. I am here. And Joshua fell down on the earth and worshiped and saying, What does the Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals of your foot for the place where you're standing is holy ground. You see, this season, this season is a different season. The last season was a season of manna. The last season was a season of uncertainty. The last season was very easy at some points. But this season is a season that you got to plant the seed, be patient, and watch the produce come up so you, that you could partake of it. But it's also a season of warfare because Joshua lifted up his eyes and he saw the commander of the Lord's army right there with him. This is a season of warfare, but you don't got to worry about it because in the season of warfare, the Lord... Lord's commander of chief is with us and he's going to fight with us. He's going to go with us. He's going to go before us and he's going to fight for us. Somebody say amen. So if you're, if you're in a battle tonight, you're at the right place at the right time. You say, well, I was in a battle last year. Well, it's going to increase. The reason the battle's going to increase is because he's increasing in you. <laughs> Woo! Did y'all just hear what I said? You know, when somebody gets in the ring and they start to train, do you know what? In order for you to have stronger muscles, you've got to lift weights, right? And if you want stronger muscles, you've got to put more weights on. More weights, the stronger you get. Sometimes there's more battles, but baby, more battles, the more stronger I get. I said this, more stronger I get. I wasn't called to quit. I wasn't called to throw in the towel. He didn't teach me how to swim to let me drown. He didn't give me, come on somebody, he didn't give me the, the cross to lay down the, the crown now. I'm going to go all the way. This is a season of produce. 